you have a Bible, I'm going to challenge you to see if you can keep up with all the verses, because we're going to be looking at a ton of them. Your bulletin was handed to you. We're going to be looking at a lot of different verses today as we uh, explore and begin uh, a new mini-series called Financially Blessed to Be a Blessing. What I'm going to do is I'm not going to read these verses now. I'm going to wait, and as we come to them in the sermon, uh, we're going to look at them. So we're going to start a series um, on money. Okay, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about money. And anytime the church talks about money, flags raise up, warnings, people just get up and leave, right? Because they think, oh man, I've heard this before, I've seen it on the TV. Um, and I just want you to know that I'm aware that that's what happens to some people's hearts when the church begins to talk about money. And so let me say first and foremost that money is about life, not guilt. Okay, money is about life and not guilt. When the church or churches talk about money in a way that makes you feel manipulated or that makes you feel guilty, uh-oh, that's one. I'm just kidding, Anita, we love you. Only Anita could I say that to you. Um, but when the church talks about money in a way that feels like you're being manipulated or makes you feel guilty, um, this paints an awful picture of God, doesn't it? It makes God look like this sort of, like some of the folks you see on TV, you know? I mean, it's no wonder when the church starts talking about money, people run for the hills. Um, now, if God asks you to do something with your money and you don't do it, then you will feel guilty. But that is not a guilt about money, it's more a guilt about obedience and disobedience, okay? So I do want to say that. But money is part of all of our lives, and let me say this, that God wants every cent that you have to help you experience his blessings. Okay? God wants every penny that you own, every penny that you use, that you save, that you spend, that you invest, every penny that you have, he wants, to, he wants that every cent to help you experience his blessings. And part of the good news is that experiencing God's blessings doesn't mean that he wants you to give all of your money to him. Okay? God does not want you to give all of your money to him. So just out the gate. Money is about life. It's not about guilt. It's not about guilt. So let me ask you some questions, because money really does cause huge amounts of frustration, of consternation, of worry and anxiety. Let me just ask you, do you go to bed at night worrying about money? There's a lesson there. There's a lesson there. Do you argue with your spouse about money? You know, do you live in fear of losing something or losing everything? These are the things that money causes. Well, imagine for a second. What if you lived in financial freedom? What if you didn't struggle to make ends meet every month? What if you were completely out of debt? What if you weren't tied to the bonds of materialism? What if you saw your needs being met consistently? What if you had enough money to save for your children's education and your retirement? What if you had the desire and the ability to help other people who were in need? What if you had the resources to give to causes that are so much bigger than just your life? What if you were 
living a life that was full of joy and generosity and peace. What's the difference between those two scenarios? Where you go to bed worried versus living in financial freedom? The difference is the gospel. The difference is the gospel. It's the wisdom of Jesus in the area of money. Okay, it's the wisdom of Jesus. And the key is to know how you bring Jesus into your finances without fear. That's the key. Jesus invites us to change how we think about money. So many of us, we treat money as though it is the most important thing in our lives. You know, when you think about how much time you spend thinking about it, when you think about how much time you spend thinking about how much you don't have, you think about how much, how much time you think about how you're going to spend it, right? You, it's funny because we don't worship idols in our day and age that are, you know, statues or figures, but we do act like money is our God so often. So many of us worship money, and the Bible says that when we do this, we become enslaved to it. Money is not a gracious master. It's a tyrant. But Jesus wants to set us free. If you trust Jesus with your money, and again, let me say, this doesn't mean giving it all to him, okay? I want to make that really clear. Trusting Jesus with your money doesn't mean giving all of your money to him. But if you do that, you will experience a deeper relationship with him. Again, God's design is that money would help you experience his blessings and then make you a blessing to others. Right? That's our theme for the year. God wants you to experience financial peace, and he wants to teach you how your money can help you know him better and experience him in your life. So today we're going to look at the Bible's perspective on money. And I just want to say, if you can understand this, if you can trust in this and believe this, it will change you. It will renew your mind, which will change your heart. This perspective will put you on the road to financial freedom. Okay? And so, that's all the introduction. The first point that we're going to see, if you want to write this down, the first point that we're going to see is that money starts with God. Okay? That's point one there on page seven. Money starts with God. The Bible teaches that God owns everything. Okay, so if you want to write something down under that point, this would be capital letter A. God owns everything. Okay, everything in the world, everything in our lives, it belongs to him. The first verse there on your handout is 1 Chronicles 29, 11. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Everything in the heavens and on earth is God's. It all, money starts with God. Psalm 50 tells us something. It's kind of funny. God is, he, he gets a little bit sarcastic here. If you look at verses 10 to 12. This is God speaking. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. So God owns everything. 
second thing underneath this first point, capital letter B, is the Bible teaches us that God shares his wealth with us because he's loving and good. Okay, God shares his wealth with us because he's loving and good. Again, we're just looking at the Bible, just looking and seeing what it says about God and, and the earth. Psalm 115, 16. This is really interesting. It says, The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Isn't that cool? So God owns it all, but he's given us the earth. Heaven is my realm. I reign up here. This is where I am. I'm giving you the earth. And this might call to your mind the creation of human beings. In the beginning, it says God made mankind in his image. Male and female, he made them. And he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you may freely eat from all the trees in the garden. You may freely eat them all, except for one. That tree of testing. And so, 1 Timothy 6.17 sort of sums this up. And it says, it's the next verse there, it says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Isn't that good? He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He owns it all and says, okay, hey, have at it. Here's the earth. Enjoy it. I want to share it with you. The next verse, Acts 14, 17, says, God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Again, the goodness of God is shown that he waters the earth. He's provided rain that produces crops, that produces food in abundance. And then James 1, 17, again, just listening to the Bible speak about God. Listening to the Bible teach us about who he is. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. And it's so striking, it's so convincing to the writers of Scripture that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? He's driving home the point that God owns everything and yet he shares it with us because he's loving and he's good. This is an amazing picture of God. God would open up his own storehouse and just share and lavish his goodness on us to the point that you've got to know Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, is talking to people in the church who work really, really hard, who earn their money through their work. And yet Paul still says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Because it all belongs to God. We have this radical abundance that's ours to enjoy. Okay, now, when you use the phrase like radical abundance... I'm just going to assume that some of you may be taking issue with me, right? Because maybe you don't feel like your life is radically abundant. You don't feel like you experience a radical abundance in your life. And so before you object out loud, let me voice your objection. And, uh, and let me just share some statistics with you to help us have perspective on this. 
Okay, one of our other pastors, um, Bob Klein, he's the pastor of our Mira Mesa harbor site. Um, he and his wife and, and some folks recently took a trip to India on, you know, to go on a missions trip. And let me give you some statistics uh, about what's going on in India. Okay, so right now in India, um, 35% of the population own a radio. Okay, so here we are. I mean, some of you don't even, well, I guess most of you probably have a clock radio. Some of you don't even have a radio because you don't want one, right? You don't need one anymore because you got your phone now, right? Um, 35% of the people own a radio. 32% of the people in India own a television. Okay, three out of 10 people have a TV. 9% of the people have a phone. It's nine, nine out of 100 people have a phone. 44% have a bicycle. 3% have a car. 35% of households have none of those things. Okay? Now, in India, there's something called poverty, and then there's something called extreme poverty. In India, 311 million people 311 million people in India live on less than $1.25 a day. Okay? $1.25 or less a day. 311 million people. That's almost the population of our entire country. So they have a whole United States that's living under $1.25 a day. But here, here in San Diego, we have Starbucks. Right? And we don't just have Starbucks, but we're at the point now where you get to choose which Starbucks you go to. Because, well, you know, this one's a little more convenient. This one's half a block closer to me. Or, you know, the people over here don't really provide good service, so I'm not going to go. I'm going to go over here. Or, you know what? Starbucks not cool anymore because it's been corporatized. And so now I go to Java Jones or The Grind or, you know, one of these single location, you know, occupancy bits. So, I mean, now... So this is what we have here in San Diego. And again, um, I want to be careful with what I'm going to say next, but we've got folks that are are living on the streets as part of our family. And I think they would say, and I have heard them say, that being in San Diego and being homeless is a heck of a lot better than $1.25 a day in the slums in India. And so now, why am I saying this? I'm not saying this because I want you to feel guilty. Okay, there, there could be a time where the result of those statistics should, should make you feel guilty. I'm telling you this because I just want to remind you of how blessed you are. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see that God owns everything in abundance and he has shared his wealth with you. With you. Your daily life reflects that God has shared his wealth with you. That's amazing. We have so much that we need to be careful that it doesn't consume us. Right? We have so much, and we spend so much of our time consuming things and spending our money that we run the risk of being enslaved to our money. So, God owns everything. God shares his wealth because he's loving and good. Capital letter C under this first point. Um, is that God invites us to share his wealth 
through hard work. Okay? God invites us to share his wealth through hard work. Okay, this is, this is important. Okay, much of God's abundance is free for all of us. Right? There is so much, especially here in San Diego, right? We've got oceans. We've got mountains. We've got cliffs. We have deserts. We've got beauty everywhere. We've got hiking trails. It's crazy how much of what God has made is free for everyone. I am constantly shocked that, <laughs> that our kids who have a, a, a really good you know, standard of living, when we go to the beach they're in hog heaven, right? With kids, you add water and sand, and you're good to go for hours. No complaining, no fighting, no frustrating. I mean, it's really amazing, right? Because we have, God is, so much of what God does offer is free to all of us, but some of it comes through hard work, okay? Some of it comes through hard work. So again, some verses. Let's hear God speak on this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It's interesting. Ecclesiastes 5.19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So you see that? The ability to work, the ability to get wealth, possessions, and power to enjoy them, if you can do that, if you can accept that as your lot and rejoice in the work that you do, that's God's gift. So one of God's gifts to us is the ability to work. It's the ability to work. And then Proverbs 13, verse 4. Again, just hearing God speak, it says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So again, part of God's, the way God's built the world is that he invites us to share in his abundance through hard work. Okay? God owns everything. He shares his abundance with us, and work is how we experience his abundance. Now this is the place where money comes in. Okay? Having thought of this, you know, this comes down, now we've got to, this is where money helps us understand, or this helps us understand money, because unless you grow your own food, or you barter with people, money is how society puts value on your work. Okay, when you leave on Fridays, they don't pay you by giving you bags of groceries, right? They write you a check, okay? And so money is you reaping the rewards of your hard work. And God provides money for us so that we would be blessed. Okay, God enables you to work and calls you to work so that you can receive money, so that you can be blessed, and then also so you can be a blessing. Now, there are four main ways that the Bible says uh, we can honor God with our money. Okay, there's four ways to follow Jesus in the use of our money. Four ways that money can help us to be blessed and to be a blessing. We're going to look at two of them today. Two of the four. Okay, and these are going to be our next two points. So, um, our second point, and this is the first way the Bible says that we can honor God with our money. Our second point is that money provides for your needs. Okay, money provides for your needs. That's point number two. Money provides for your needs. 
So we think about this in terms of being blessed, right? God blesses us to provide for our needs. Um, We are blessed actually when we use our money to provide for our needs, right? You have needs, you have this money that you've received because you work. You pay to provide for your needs and you you experience blessing, okay? This is biblical, um, if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, there it says it in the negative. It says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, so work is actually God's design for us to be able to provide for our food. Okay, that's how God has built the world. We work and then we eat. And so Genesis three nineteen says this very thing. It says, this is God speaking. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So you see this, this tie-in, that work is designed so that you can eat. And it's how God has built the world. So work is the means by which we are to provide for our needs. So both needs now, in terms of food, clothing, a home, Right? Work is the means by which God has called us to meet those needs. It's also needs for the future. Right? You think about school in the future, retirement, providing for your children. God's design is that your work provide for those needs. So what does this mean? What this means is that every time you pay a bill, okay, every time you swipe your credit card at the grocery store or hand over the cash to pay for your groceries, every time you write your rent check, every time you pay something online that's going to your needs, stop and realize that you are honoring God. God has provided for your needs through the money that you have from the work that you've done. At that moment, God wants you to stop and consider that he has been your provider. God cares about the mundane. God is the most patient and methodical person that I know. Right? You think about how patient God is with us as human beings, with you as an individual. I think about things that I've been working on for years and years and years and years. I'm still struggling with. I think about the countries of the world, how patient God is. You know, in terms of being patient and watching people, giving them enough room to make mistakes sometimes and then working out of those mistakes, right? God is so patient and so methodical. God cares about the mundane things in your life. Every time you pay a bill, every time you buy groceries, every time you buy the clothes that you need, every time you buy something that you need or pay for something that you need, God wants to join you in that moment God wants you to stop and look up to him and say thank you. When you pay for your needs with the money that you have, God is honored and well-pleased with you. Can you receive that? 
Because that's how God has set it up. He owns everything. He shared the earth with us. And he calls us to work so that we can provide for our needs. And when you do that, you are following God's plan. You're following God's ways. And God is delighted. He's saying, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Do you see how I've provided for you? I've given you the strength to do that work. I've given you the job, right? I've kept you sustained in your work. What this does is this turns finances into almost a sacrament. I mean, not quite, but it turns your finances into something that can be very, very spiritual. Because every time you pay that bill, you can say, God, you provided this money, and I'm using it the way you want me to use it. I hope that just opens up that area, this area of your life, right? Because it seems so mundane, so tedious, so frustrating. Now it can become an opportunity for you to know God better. Because every need that you have, every need that you pay off, God has shown that he's provided for you. It's a big deal. Now, question, what if you don't have enough to provide for your needs? Right? It's a good question. What if you don't have enough? Right? What, I mean, debt crushes so many of us. It's so hard to get out. What do you do if the money that you have can't pay for the things that you need? I think at that point, very, very practically, you just need to ask yourself, okay, what am I spending my money on that's a need versus what am I spending money on that's a want? It's really, really practical. That's a question you need to ask and and answer. The chances are that if you go through that process with your own budgeting, with your own finances, and nothing happens, you need to have somebody do that with you. Just ask for some help. Ask for help. Get a friend, someone in your community group. Um, We've got folks that are equipped to be able to help you with the church. Um, Get some help because usually, at least I know for me, when it comes to the way that I spend money, there's all sorts of things that I would really, 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 really rather not live without. Right? And so sometimes I need somebody outside saying, that's not a need, that's a want. So, when you provide for your needs, you experience God's blessing. You experience his consistent and faithful love. God shows to you that he is faithful to provide for your needs. Now, providing for your needs also can help you to be a blessing to others. right? Not just receiving the blessing from God, but being a blessing to others. When you provide for others... Right? For a spouse, for your children, for other family members, your money is causing you to be a blessing to others. Okay? And I just want you to slow down and stop and think about that. Um, the Bible says this is part of the way it works. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. 
But this shows you this is part of how God has built it, that God gives you money to provide for your needs and the needs uh, of those in your family. 1 Timothy 5.4 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So again, if you help your relatives, if you help your family by providing food for them, by providing help with their rent, you are doing something that God says is pleasing in his sight. And so again, the point here is that every time you do that, God is waiting to meet you there if you will look up and acknowledge him. And that turns your bill paying, that turns your caring for your family into something that is spiritual. Do this and see what happens. When you pay your bills this week, when you write your checks, when you do your finances the next time, do this and see what happens. Thank God every time you write a check. Thank God every time you pay a bill online. Thank God every time you're in the grocery store as you're you're checking out and see what happens. You'll end up in Genesis 28 with Jacob who says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. God will open your eyes and he'll meet you in that place. So money is designed to provide for your needs. Our last point, our third point there, um, is that money lets you celebrate. Okay, money lets you celebrate. Right, when you think about this, this is part of the design of money. God wants you to use a portion of your money to celebrate. When we do this, when we celebrate with the money that we have, we experience God's blessing, right? How often do you buy something that you don't need for survival? How often do you buy something you don't need for survival? Starbucks. Newer clothes before you need them. Nicer car, nicer watch, nicer phone, you know, out to eat rather than eating at home. Something that's not rice and beans at home. Seriously, I mean, these are all things that we spend money on that are not necessary for our survival. And here's the situation. Here's the deal, is that when you do that, See, you do it all the time. So do I. We do it all the time. Every week, sometimes every day, we spend our money on things that we don't need for our survival. Okay, we're all doing this now, right? All of us. We do this, again, constantly. Now watch where this goes. I'm not going to say, how dare you, you should feel awful for yourself for buying all the stuff you don't need. Because actually, part of the point of money. Part of God's design for you with your money is that you would use it, a portion of it, to celebrate. Okay? Jesus didn't need money. He did a miracle, but he made 120 gallons of wine at a wedding because they ran out. 
Why? Because Jesus knows that part of God's design for life is to celebrate. It's to celebrate. So even after they drank all the wine, he made 120 gallons more wine. It's because God's design is that we would use a portion of our money. So here's the situation. You can go about your life and make all those purchases of things that are not necessary for your survival and feel a little bit of a twinge of guilt. Or you could invite God into the process and turn every one of those purchases into an opportunity for you to celebrate the goodness and the abundance of God. Can you receive that? Could you do that this week? Every time you buy something that you don't need for survival, you are spending your money in a way God is letting you celebrate life. And so again, as you check out, as you write the check, as you swipe your card, as you take it with you, let your heart be filled with thankfulness. Right? You can turn that into an opportunity where you invite God to be a part of that. Now, when you do that, you may find that there may be some guilt still. Right? You, you buy, I mean, let's say you buy a new watch that you don't need. You might get this sense of, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I have the money and I can buy this new watch. Thank you that I can celebrate the goodness of your world, the abundance that you've lavished on me with this new watch. That's ideal. Now, it's possible that the Lord may speak back to you when you do that and say, you know, maybe you might have been able to use this in a different way. Um, And that you want to be open. And part of the process, this is the dangerous process of following God, is that sometimes we go to God with our own ideas and God may speak back to us. And he may want to change our mind about some of the things that we do or decide. Okay? But what I would encourage you to do is invite God into the part of your life that's celebrating. Because then it becomes a blessing. Then it becomes a blessing from God. And then you can trust. I mean, truly, you can trust when you do this. That God will meet you in that place. That God will join you in your rejoicing. Or he'll change your mind about it. Okay, but God is about celebrating. Um, in Exodus 31, this is the last verse there, it says, um, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Isn't that interesting, those last three words? Because we all knew he rested you have been around the church at all, if you read the Bible at all, the Ten Commandments, he rested. Did you know that he was refreshed? That God actually refreshed himself. I think what that means is that he took joy in the goodness of his work. The work that he had done, as he looked at it, Genesis 1 says he looked and he saw and he said it was very good. And it was kind of like he basked in it and he refreshed himself. I think the refreshment of God on the seventh day 
is an invitation to us to celebrate the goodness that he has provided for us in our lives. Although the Bible does have cautions against excessive spending, it does have cautions against materialism and building your life around things that don't last, the Bible also says that abundance is a sign, can be a sign of God's good favor. And the key is, again, that when you celebrate, invite God in. Invite God in to the process. Now, what do you do if you don't have any money left over to celebrate? Sometimes you're at the end of the month and you've got nothing. You know, I mean, for us, we do our finances in terms of funds. You know, we got the food fund, we've got the, you know, the utilities fund, we've got the auto fund, we've got all these funds. And, and some of those funds are more celebratory types of funds. Date night is a fund, right? Um, eating out is a fund. Sometimes there's no money in that fund, right? Sometimes you go to the cupboard and the cupboard's bare. What do you do then? How do you celebrate the goodness of life? when there's no money to be able to spend to celebrate. Yeah, I think um, what you want to do is you want to focus on those things that God provides freely in his world. You can still experience the wonder of the celebration of life, again, by just going outdoors. Go to the beach. Um, Go in the mountains, hike. I mean, there is so much. Be with people, right? There is so much that you can do to celebrate. Um, Again, beach is one destination for us that causes huge amounts of joy. Um, Going on a picnic is a lot of fun. Totally inexpensive. Make the food, bring it with you, right? I mean, these are things that you can do that give you that ability to celebrate the abundance of God in your life. And again, when you do that, when you do that, you will experience the blessings that God has poured out on all of humanity in his sharing, the way he shares with us. And so money lets you celebrate. Um, That's a blessing to us. And in terms of being a blessing to others, for a lot of us, for most of us, God has given us more than we need so that we can celebrate. But celebrating is one of those things that's very often much more fulfilling, much longer lasting if we celebrate with someone else. So the things that you love to do to enjoy, uh, the, things that, uh, the things that you do to celebrate life, do it with someone else. Maybe you want to think about the celebration money in your life and try to think through how can I involve somebody else in this? So let's go out to eat and let's invite some friends. All right, let's share with them. I mean, that's a way that you can be a blessing to others. Or as you enjoy and celebrate life, tell somebody else. Talk to the folks that you know. Talk to your friends and tell them why it is that you think God is so good that you want to celebrate him. Those are ways <clears throat> that we experience God's blessing and then become a blessing to others. So there's two other ways that the Bible talks about um, how we ought to spend our money. We're going to look at those in the next couple of weeks. 
But again, I just want you to know that money can be for you an opportunity to get more of God in your life, to experience more of his blessing. When it comes to money, if you invite God into the areas of your life where your finances are, that's when you'll experience the blessing of God. And so this week, invite him in when you spend money. Are you providing for your needs? Then include him in that and thank him. Are you celebrating? Include him in that and thank him. And see what happens. See what happens. See what happens to your heart. See what happens to your mind. As you begin to take on God's perspective, you will experience more of a God who has opened wide his own storehouses, who has filled your lives with his blessings. You will see his blessing every time you spend money. That's the invitation. And if you're here today, for those of you who are here today aren't Christians yet, this is an area where I would invite you to do the same thing. You may not believe in Jesus yet, but I'm painting for you a picture of Jesus that is amazingly generous, that's amazingly benevolent and abundant. He wants to share that with you. I challenge you this week, when you spend your money, if you're spending money to provide, do the same thing I just said. Acknowledge that it's possible that Jesus is providing this, good, this money for you to provide for this need. Right? It's possible that Jesus is providing this money for you to be able to celebrate. If you open yourself up to that and acknowledge that as a possibility, see if Jesus doesn't become more real to you as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that when we look at your scriptures, um, we don't see a tyrant in heaven, unhappy and never satisfied. Father, I thank you that what we see is a gracious and loving Father who uses all of his authority to fill our lives with goodness and blessing. Lord, help us. I know so many of us have wrong views of who you are. So many of us struggle to acknowledge your goodness because for all kinds of different reasons. But we pray, Lord, that you would speak now. I mean, you have shown the abundance of your love most clearly in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. You've shown just how much you want us to experience a relationship with you by completely emptying yourself, by giving up everything that you own, even your life, so that we might receive from you. Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to trust that and to walk in it this week. Show us, Lord, that you are in these places in our lives, even though we often don't know it. And help us to commune with you in those times this week. In Jesus' name, amen.